0: Oh, welcome back, everyone. If it works to have your video on, it's nice as I'm uh, speaking to be able to see people.
1: I might come off if I freeze a lot, but I'll come back.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that's fine. So the theme for our evening, as many of you know, is in relationship to Valentine's Day. Lev and I were talking, and we came up with the theme of opening our hearts to love for ourselves and for others. And the uh, sort of the summary of what I want to cover in a fairly short talk, and then we'll have we hope to have about. Uh, 20 minutes or so of talking together. um, A summary that I gave, which I'd like to uh, offer just for orientation, just before this Valentine's Day, we'll explore as we have in meditation and then talk and discussion, what helps us to open our hearts to our deep loving nature and what gets in the way of such opening. We'll focus on how central it is and how often uh, it's hard to be able to develop and express self-love and self-compassion. Yet these qualities are necessary for bringing love out into our relationships and into our world, which deeply needs love and heart connections. We'll identify perspectives and practices which help us to open our hearts to love. So that's what I'll be exploring and then we can talk together about that again if it's possible for you to have your video on it's really nice to be able to see people so if that can work that's appreciated <clears throat> So the aim of our practice is to the aim of our practice is to live with wisdom, with kindness, and an open heart, and with skillful action. That's what this is all about. It can really, as it were, come down to developing wisdom, developing a kind and open heart, and being skillful in our action. Ultimately, these are all very much integrated. And so in those integrated practices, the focus tonight will be on one of them especially. We can also look at how uh, developing the open heart, the kind heart is related to wisdom and to skillful action. That can come up some and as I explore the theme and, and in our discussion. Uh, but I'm gonna focus on that very, very ancient vocation of developing the kind heart, the open heart, whatever we call it, love, metta, loving-kindness, compassion. And we find this as a core vocation in virtually all traditions. I'll just mention a few. In the Jewish tradition, in the Talmud, it said, the highest form of wisdom is kindness. From the Christian tradition, this is from the great Catholic contemplative Thomas Merton. Our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. That is not our business, and in fact, it is nobody's business. What we are asked to do is to love, and this love itself will render both ourselves and our neighbors worthy. From the Islamic tradition, from uh, Rumi, the... uh, top-selling poet in America is a Muslim. Did you know that? (laughs) That's important. And so Rumi says, Love is the water of life. Drink it down with heart and soul. And then one more from um, Mark Twain. He's going to say something interesting, I expect. Mark Twain. Kindness is the language the blind can see and the deaf can hear. This is from the Metta Sutta, you know, from the Buddha. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. It goes on later, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be whether they are weak or strong, omitting none. With a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world. That's our aspiration. That's a deep and powerful aspiration, which I think we, we touch at times. We know that way that the heart can be radiating. And part of our practice is to learn ways to touch that and let it expand. And then I'll read one more passage. This is from a beautiful text recently translated from, called the uh, Theragata, which uh, was translated as a, a book called The First Free Women, Poems of the Early Buddhist Nuns. And this is from one of the nuns. And it's a poem called Mita, the same root as metta, meaning friendliness. This is her poem, really a poem that she speaks. She speaks in a sense, having completed in a way, the path of opening the heart. So listen to this. Full of trust, you left home and soon learned to walk the path, making yourself a friend to everyone and making everyone a friend. When the whole world is your friend, fear will find no place to call home. And when you make the mind your friend, you'll know what trust really means. Listen, I have followed this path of friendship to its end. And I can say with absolute certainty, it will lead you home That's from probably 23, 2400 years ago. Follow the path of friendship. It will lead you, it will lead you home. And yet, of course, it's not so easy. Many things close our hearts, right? You know, if you had to just say one word right now, what, what closes the heart? You can unmute and speak up. Anyone want to just say one word? What closes the heart?
2: Fear.
0: Fear. What else? Yeah, just unmute and say a word or two. Trauma.
2: Trauma. Trauma.
0: Yeah, trauma closes the heart.
3: Blue Shame.
0: Shame. What was the the other one?
3: Uh,
0: Judgment. Judgment, being judgmental of self or other, closes the heart. Illusion. Illusion, yeah. So our practice really is very simple. It's twofold. It's to find ways to open the heart to greater kindness Secondly, to see what gets in the way. That's our continual practice. And so I want to talk about those two dimensions, because that that can be a helpful way to look at what we're doing. So we have to know what gets in the way and know how to work with what gets in the way, how to practice with what gets in the way. So I I reflected some on what uh, gets in the way, and some of it echoes what was said. You know, for me, I think initially it was uh, being caught in the mind, maybe not necessarily even always caught, but being really identified with thinking. I think this was partly related to uh, social conditioning, coming of age as a, you know, conditioned to be a boy and then a man. I think I knew I had a, a a kind heart because I. I sometimes used to cry when there were movies. So I knew there was something there, but still I was mostly, you know, really trained to be uh, thinking, you know, partly being a student and uh, to uh, be be good at solving problems. Right? And so that's one way that, you know, that, it may, that it's hard to really be with the open heart, the vulnerable heart. A lot of thinking, and again, I mentioned all sorts of forms of social conditioning. You know, to you know, some of the you know very related to gender, uh, as I mentioned that uh, you know when we when we teach meta retreats at Spirit Rock, historically they've been 80 to 85 percent women. Now, what's that about? You know, why is it more women who come to open the hearts further? We've noticed an increase in the percentage in the last few years. There are a lot of younger men who are coming to meta retreats. Something is happening. Yay. But there, there, is, that, there is that conditioning and really not to be in the heart so much. And um, you know, there also can be um, you know, very much conditioning for women, which I've seen in a lot of people I work with, To have the heart maybe open, but especially for others and not always for oneself. You know, I work, I've worked in the last year or two with several women in their 70s who are still working with the old belief that they got when they were young. You know, uh, my love for myself comes second. Right. Love for others comes first. Anyone identify with that one? in terms of conditioning. And so that can be, you know, the the social conditioning around, around gender. Of course, social conditioning, if one has a, a marginalized social identity, you know, Dr. King talked about how crucial it was to become, to see oneself as somebody, you know, and there can be all sorts of social conditioning that tells us we're not worth so much, or there's something odd about us or strange. And, you know, I, uh, coming of age when I did, you know, as of Jewish ancestry, even though I think it's far less intense than the social conditioning for many others, but I got a certain amount of marginalization coming my way, and I could see how that was very much uh, connected with uh, not really having myself in my own heart something I've had really to look with. And again, it can be there for many forms of marginalization related to sexual identity or to uh, racialization and so forth. I think we we know that. Uh, uh, Pain or wounds or trauma can close the heart quite quickly and often for a long time. So part of what we come back to when we practice is we is part of what we need to do is also to heal, to come back and see and work with the pain that's there, because unresolved pain, someone mentioned trauma, could be trauma, could just be our wounds will, will uh, block the heart, you know, and the different emotions related to, um, you know, painful experiences in the present moment. Sometimes it can be anger or fear or anxiety or sometimes uh grief you know those have all have the potential actually to open the heart as well when we stay with them but often they can close the heart and then there's the you know then there's the uh, family conditioning you know which we can have we can have received a certain amount of pain when we were uh young you know certain uh being told that um, we weren't so worthwhile, being judged harshly by parents, which can really uh, shut down our ability to to love. And I, w- I was really as a segue to the fact that in, especially in the Western world, um, loving oneself is quite hard. You know, and I, I was once at a, Uh, I was at the Insight Meditation Society on one of the Dalai Lama's first trips to the United States and he came to the center and he took questions and I think they they were written down, they were on cards and one question came from I think a young man and it said, I don't think I deserve love, please respond. And the Dalai Lama got confused. And he speaks pretty good English, as, as many of you know, many of us know. But he went back and forth with the translator. And so, you know, basically, you know, I think he was in talking in Tibetan, you know, basically saying, what's, what's going on? What is that? And, and then, you know, like took a, two or three minutes of back and forth with the translator. And then finally he blurted out in English, you're wrong you deserve love. It was very un-Dalai Lama-like, right? And later he said he did not understand the levels of self-hatred and self-judgment among Westerners. And he said he talked, it took him two years of talking with Western psychologists, Western spiritual teachers to really understand the depth of it. And it's quite strong, right? There is this very, they're very uh, deep conditioning. I think my own speculation is that it's connected with a certain level of individuation that doesn't exist in the same way, or didn't exist previously, for example, in Tibetan community or in much of Asia. I think it's hap- it's growing very rapidly, but I, so that's my own speculation that there's a kind of self judgment and self hatred that uh, many, uh, virtually all of us, have had to work with that's there. Uh, and so I know I find in people I work with, the, you know, uh, the challenge in being kind to oneself and loving oneself is very strong. You know, as many of you know, I, I've done work, uh, I've done groups and retreats on the theme of transforming the judgmental mind, actually for about 20 years, and I probably worked with a few thousand people and self-judgment is like the central theme of our work, right? It's so strong. It's so, I think I learned to use the word endemic before we're now starting to use it for the pandemic, right? Right. But it's, it's endemic. It's just there with the air, you know, and it, um, comes often with what we can call limiting beliefs, uh, very strong beliefs that we can notice in ourselves if we look closely. You know, um, limiting beliefs that typically come from childhood. You know, it might be I'm not okay, or something is weird with me, or you know I'm wrong. There could be those limiting beliefs related to gender or marginalized identity that I mentioned earlier. And most of us have some kind of limity belief that makes self-love hard or hard to some extent, or sometimes it's a, it's a whole uh, barrier, you know, you don't deserve love, I'm, you know, I might say I'm weird, I'm not okay, this part of me, you know, my anger is not okay, I'm okay if I'm perfect, anyone know that one? I deserve love if I'm perfect, right? That's a big one. Right? And so, you know, we can ask ourselves, um, you know, which of these, uh, what's, what, is, uh, what kind of you know, residual limiting belief occurs in my own experience? And yet self-love is so crucial. We wanted, Lev and I wanted to focus a little bit more on that than on loving others because we think it's foundational. And the Buddha, there's a very powerful line in the Buddha's teachings where he says, where he really talks about the centrality of loving oneself, which apparently was easier 2,500 years ago than it is now. (laughs) Those of you who know metta practice know we start with loving kindness practice. If we do it in a traditional way, we start with loving ourselves. And as someone who's been teaching uh, the metta retreat at Spirit Rock a lot of years, I have to say that many of us modify those instructions to take stock of the current times. Right. And so, um, but the Buddha said one who loves oneself will not harm another. That there's something very foundational about loving oneself. That's a very powerful statement. You know, the corollary of it is is that those who harm others don't really love themselves it's a powerful statement that can give all sorts of suggestions for social healing. And, you know, I I can remember, I once uh, read a study of youth violence. And the greatest single corollary for youth who had committed violence was that violence was done to them. In other words, they were not showed love. And in some ways, they thought, I don't deserve love. That's what the You know what they're receiving and so we know that that receiving of self-love is necessary in order to love others from uh, the poet Hafez he says run my dear you know a, a Persian poet from I think 13th 14th century a little bit after Rumi Run, my dear, from anything that may not strengthen your precious budding wings." So how do we practice? And I'll I'll finish with this. We practice in a few different ways. And again, I think the, the two core ways of practicing have to do with finding ways to cultivate love, kindness, joy, the open heart, on the one hand, and then seeing what gets in the way of that kind heart on the other. Those are the two ways of practicing. And I think we need to bring both together, so we can do metta practice. I, when I teach metta, I always suggest doing it where it's easiest. Spend time where you can most easily open the heart, either in formal loving kindness practice, or it could be on other ways of gladdening the heart, maybe with joy, or with compassion, or with gratitude, uh, or with going to beauty. You know, it could be. I know. One time, after I did a, a long meta retreat, I did a, several weeks of practicing loving kindness, and when I came home, I had all these things to do, and I said, "I'm gonna—I can't do them now. I have to make my my home more beautiful." And you know, so I did what we sometimes call interior decoration, which is a form of meta practice. So that could be something. To create beauty in one's environment is a form, could be a form of metta. Or being, being with beauty. This is from Mary Oliver, uh, a poem, When I Am Among the Trees. When I'm among the trees, especially the willows and the honey locust, equally the beech, the oaks and the pines, they give off such hints of gladness. I would almost say that they save me And daily. I am so distant from the hope of myself in which I have goodness and discernment and never hurry through the world but walk slowly and bow often. Around me the trees stir in their leaves and call out stay a while. The light flows from their branches and they call again it's simple they say you too have come into the world to do this to go easy to be filled with light, and to shine. So what helps us to have that sense of shining, to be filled with light? Maybe it's being with the trees every day as a practice, being with the flowers. I love to walk around my neighborhood. I did it twice today. And I connect with the plants and the trees and the flowers and I feel joy at that they're doing well and I offer may you continue to blossom. And I do a 15 minute walk and it's a beautiful way of connecting with joy. So this first way of practicing is find what fills you with joy or what helps, what brings about a sense of kindness, friendliness, joy. And then secondly we see what gets in the way. Again it could be uh, noticing uh, the self-judgments, and we can work with those. Just notice them with mindfulness. See what comes up. See when that's there. Um, do, if we're working with the difficult stuff, really important to keep on doing the heart practices. We can also do inquiry into those limiting beliefs. Can I see how I have that limiting belief? I'm not enough or something is wrong with me. Can I notice that and look into that? And there are different techniques you could use the work of Byron Katie to look more deeply and to work through or other ways or bring in compassion or just to ask moment to moment. This is from Julia Butterfly Hill. She likes to ask moment by moment, is my act coming out of love? Ask that question moment to moment. That's a way of practicing to open the heart. So I'll close with a story. The Buddha came to visit a bunch of monks there were three monks uh, named uh, Anaruda, Nandiya, and Kambiya. And the Buddha greeted them collectively as the Anarudas, because they all lived together. And he said, how is it, you Anarudas, that you were living together in a friendly way, harmonious as, as milk and water, regarding each other with the eye of affection? And Anaruda spoke of how, having developed metta, or loving-kindness, in regard to acts of body, speech, and mind. He said, Buddha, we have different bodies, but we have only one heart and mind. That has been developed by continual metta. We have different bodies, but we have one heart. And so this is where our practice can go. So let me turn it over to Lev, to... Uh, open us up for discussion.
1: Thank you for your teaching, Donald.
0: Yeah, you're welcome.
1: It's wonderful, beautiful. Great to... uh... Oh, wait, we've never talked together. Yes, we have. We have? Maybe a couple years ago.
0: Yeah, a while ago,
1: yeah. Okay, cool. Well, it's good to uh, practice and hear you talk again. So we, I mean, first, if you have any questions for Donald around his talk, and then we were thinking, um, around the lines of, um, if you, um, and those questions might be like, is there something that's blocking you that, um, you might be able to provide guidance around, but also maybe sharing how's love showing up for you right now?
0: Yeah, the question, or what? What helps you to stay in touch with the open heart? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it could be a question, or it could be sharing. Yeah. And I think we we can. Um, you can either use the raised hand or just raise your hand. We can see everyone with the screen on. Maybe just take a moment, see what's there for you right now. what's alive, what's stirring. So any questions or reflections or you could bring in, I'm having a difficult time with this person. <laughs> how, do, how, do I, how do I move towards the kind heart? Anyway, whatever there is, any, anyone want to start? Yeah, please, Sheree uh, Bowman.
2: Yeah, um, I think that there's a, there's a couple of things that help to open my heart. Um, certainly the, you know, nice weather and sunshine mm-hmm. and being in nature, you know, really opens the heart. You know, we, we uh, walked uh, by the ocean today and, and that sort of helps to open the heart. Um, but what I really noticed is, and Donald, you and I talked about it a little bit about how easier, much easier it is to, um, practice in, in a group in a sangha, you know, and I, and I found that when I practice with a sangha, it really helps to open my heart. It's just, I just, you know, feel that interconnectedness with, um, with the Sangha. It's really wonderful
0: that way. Yeah. Thanks Bowman. I, I have one thought and then Lev, see, see if you want to add to it. But, um, one thing I have found in doing the work with the, uh, uh, transforming the judgmental mind is that I've done, you know, done that virtually always in groups. And uh, a lot of them are ongoing groups that, um, have met once a month and people have stayed in the group, some of them as long as a few years. And one of the things that uh, I like to do in the groups is really have people share their own inner experience, uh, for example, barriers to self-love. And that can be really, really helpful because we very quickly see that the conditioning is very, very similar. And what people are working with is very, very similar. And for a lot of people, they're coming from a place where they think I am uniquely you know, problematic or I have unique problems. And when they get in a group, they see how, uh, how shared the conditioning is and how similar the issues are. And that is actually uh, freeing in a certain way. That's another way that community can be really crucial for developing self love. Cause we, you know, cause in the groups, I would ask people to do basically a check in of a few minutes, At the beginning, they're small groups, so people get to check in, and they talk about what they're working with, and when you hear 10, 12, whatever people saying something about how they work with self-judgment, let's say, it really lets people know, you know, we're all in the same boat together, more or less. And that is very freeing for people, because a lot of times, the lack of self-love Let's us kind of isolates us. So that's that's one point I wanted to make.
1: Yeah, I think the other. The, I love that, and then adding, um, it's good to reflect just as someone you love what what's going on in your mind, and um, even uh, I have some friends that, if we use self judgment, we kind of c- call each other in on it. Um, You know, I I might say, uh, You're not allowed to say that to yourself in front of me, right? Um, And they get it, or um, that's actually not how I see you. But being able to just have anyone who loves you to be able to reflect back,
0: whether you're in a group or not. Hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Anyone else like to share or ask a question, please? Yeah, go ahead. Go. go for it. Yeah, I think it's David, please. yeah.
3: Oh, okay, I didn't hear you, sorry. Um, I was interested in what you said about individuality versus group behavior or something and how individuality is less group love or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. And if you could expand on it a little bit, or where would I find out more about that? Yeah, um,
0: it's somewhat speculative on my part, but it's, you know, it, it, it's partly based on the fact, fe- you know, stories like that of the Dalai Lama uh, really not being very familiar with self-judgment or self-hatred. And I said, there are other issues. There are plenty of other issues, but maybe if we distinguish a more individualistic culture from a more collective culture, you know, in the collective culture, they might work more with shame and guilt and so forth. You know, there are plenty of other mechanisms, not like one's healthy and one's not healthy. I think, you know, you know, but, but um, when you have a more individualistic culture, or something that's based on what I was calling individuation, the sense of being a really distinct and having your basic identity be more that of an individual, as opposed to be a member of a community or a collective, then, uh, it sets up the, you know, it sets up the possibility of that kind of self judgment, uh, which, which I did, you know, have not seen when I've spent time, for example, in, in Thailand, but I could also see that developing very quickly with globalization, you know, and in fact, some of the meetings I've been to, uh, Mm -hmm. I remember, I'll just say one more thing. I remember being in Thailand at a, a meeting. I, I went to a lot of meetings for the International Network of Engaged Buddhists. And I remember, you know, one meeting we had uh at the end of the uh meeting, we we the uh the Thai organizers brought in something which they had learned from West, you know, from coming to California. They asked everyone to say uh one thing they liked and one thing they didn't like about the gathering, right? Mm-hmm. Which normally you wouldn't do in that context. And you could tell at first people were very, very hesitant to say something they didn't like, right? And, but then after a while, they totally got into it. You know, they totally got into, you know, a lot of them didn't like the vegetarian food, for example. And they just really, really got into it. I could see, oh, oh, it looks like we're developing individualism here. So that's my speculation, David. And it's somewhat speculative, I think, but it, it makes some sense, right? So is that, is that I helpful to think to about that.
3: Thank you very much. I had to think about it. Yeah. It's very
0: interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating, but it, and it's also why, you know, you don't find you don't find so much of an emphasis in the Buddhist text on the problem of judging oneself harshly. You know.
1: Thank you. You're welcome. Can I just add, every? I appreciate everything you said, Donald, and then we're conditioned to compete from the moment we meet another person. Mm-hmm. So we get into kindergarten and everything is about competition. Who's better? Who's faster? Who's smarter? And I feel like that feeds into it as well.
0: It's big, yeah. It's yeah, everything that you said. Yeah, thank you. That, that's a help, really helpful addition. Cherie, please.
4: Yeah, Donald, what's coming up for me is uh, the, I think the thing that really blocks me from having an open heart is a lack of trust in other people. mm um, Just not feeling safe to have an open heart with other people.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, so how do you navigate that? It's difficult. It's
4: really difficult. Um, I I think I think um, you know the practice of um, one of the things that you talked about was um, active listening. Mm-hmm. And and I think that when you can really begin to listen to other people, it's pretty revealing. Mm-hmm. And you kind of get a sense of, you know, what what are they looking for in this? You know, do they just need validation? Do they need, you know, and you kind of get more of a sense of where they're coming from.
0: Yeah, that, that sounds helpful. It can be, what occurs to me as you ask that question, is that it can be helpful to have yeah. almost like um, a sequence of, sort of the, almost the like of the degree to which the heart is open, you know, Mm -hmm. from being uh, open some, to being open a lot, to really being fully open, as you might with people really close to us. And, and I think it's possible really to have those gradations. So I'm thinking like what you were saying, I can be with someone I don't feel totally safe with, and still have some empathy. And in fact, I, I didn't mention empathy, but I, I like to teach that as a practice, you know, to really try to understand another. So there's some can be some quality of opening the heart, but it's not, you know, open in, to the same degree that it would be when I am feel totally safe, right? But one can still do empathy, like you're saying. What really matters for this person? One can have that, you know, and that involves some opening of the heart, so I think maybe there are levels or degrees of opening the heart, and can we find some way to open the heart, uh, even if we can't open it fully and be totally undefended? Something like that. It's interesting, yeah. You know, and then of course we practice. You know, we practice to, um, you know, keep. You know, try to. Can I feel more and more safe? with my heart being open. That's a whole sequence of practice there. But I think that that would be my first answer would be look for ways to open the heart some, but maybe not totally. Thank you. Yeah, it's interesting. I I hope it's not annoying for me to add things.
1: Um, Remembering that we don't have to like anybody. They're people I don't like, but I know I love them because they're another human being, so I have love for them. But, I, you know, I don't want them necessarily around me. I think that, that's helped me a lot.
0: That's a beautiful one. That's like our innate way of being. I mean, that, Dr. King used to talk about that all the time, right? He used to say, I'm sure glad I don't have to like everyone because <laughs> some people, I mean, some people want to bomb my house. I don't want to like them, but I can love them. He distinguished the same way you're doing. Yeah. Other sharing questions? Stories?
3: Yes, Donald?
0: Yeah.
3: Um, yeah, I. I uh, you put me in mind of uh, the Dalai Lama show. First visit to North America in September 1979, um, and uh, I remember being at the front door in Barry as the—I guess it was a State Department black car that drove up. Uh, I think a couple of security officers got out first, and. Uh, there was a little assembled group on the front porch waiting for him to arrive. I imagine Jack Pornfield was there and Bolstein um, and um, uh, the two female... Uh, yeah, Jackie Schwartz
0: life. and Sharon Salzberg.
3: Yeah, I remember how those... They, they spoke so eloquently, they would make me cry when they talked. Um, speaking of suffering... And, yeah, the quality that he had, I, you're just putting me, I can't remember anything he said, but I, I remember how he entered, and, um, yeah, there was just like kind of this, nobody was kind of there, and there was just like this wonderful warmth and joy and bowing. It was like um, emptiness was coming into the into the retreat center, and, um, What I wanted to ask you is, uh, I remember being in a retreat and doing a body scan. It went on for about an hour, and when we got to the chest area, I can remember a sensation of hardness. Um, I don't know if that sensation had to do with the ribs and maybe a lack of um, fluidity and uh, uh, interstitial areas of muscle and uh, connections of the muscles. Uh, uh, but yeah, I remember how how hard my heart felt. It yeah. was a uh, heart area up there. I was, uh, was frightening even to observe it at that very close up level, not really an experience I wanted to retreat and it, repeat. And I nev- never, never uh, level one, did I not have any skill at? Um, you know, the sort of brief meta uh, training that would go on at the end of a 10-day retreat. Uh, so, so it wasn't emphasized so much during the main course. Um, yeah, I, I had an active aversion to that um, when when that would be presented. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think I got an F, F in meta. Um, but what I wanted to ask you is... Um, yeah, I um I'm thinking of uh, a woman I know who uh just came back a while back from Burma in a from a meta retreat there where she studied it intensively and um, uh, and I'm also thinking of one of the teachers at the East Bay Meditation Center who who comes here on occasion on Friday nights. And um hey, Keith Surgeon
1: Sorry, instructor. I think we should do the merit for those who need to leave,
0: yeah, and then maybe I might uh, stay on a little
1: bit longer.
0: Yeah, uh, Lev, would it be okay? Maybe Keith, if you can really get to your question soon, and and then uh, yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, Lev, um, you yeah, are you okay? Yeah, then
0: okay. we would respond, and then we would finish with the merit. Yeah, absolutely. Okay.
3: Sorry, fifteen seconds to uh, our official closing hour. I'll ask my question: Is what? What are the physics underlying advanced meta practice? How does a teacher at East Bay Meditation on a zoom call send me what would be conventionally called in Christianity a blessing? How does she change my physiological uh, actual neuronal functioning from Oakland when she doesn't know me and um, we're just on a zoom call? How does my friend who was in Burma uh, how does she do that to me when she's in Palm Springs, and I'm in Joshua Tree. Do you have any insight into the um, very much, you know, perhaps untouched by scientific study, underlying dynamics of the physics of how this works?
0: Yeah, thanks Keith. Um, Two things occur to me, and it was nice we were both at that uh, time with the Dalai Lama. That's that's sweet. Um, Yeah, two things occur to me. First, it's very common experience to have that uh, hardening around the heart. I hung out with that in my own practice probably for a year or two. I think it's really related to that closing down of the heart and it can manifest. And we only get aware, I only got aware of it in doing retreats and meditating. And so there's, you know, and, and over time, the hardening seemed to dissolve, but it took attention and it took opening the heart. Then, in terms of the, I, I wouldn't use the word physics, but I would talk about the probably more about the uh, subtle energy system, and the and, and and really and also about that way. Uh, maybe maybe it is a little bit more related to the way that the heart can get closed down, and I think that it's possible for someone to say something, read a poem do some teaching that can uh, have uh, different effects on us from a distance from, you know, Zoom, or actually even just reading a book that someone wrote a thousand years ago. And it can work, I think, in two ways that occurred to me. One of them is it can actually uh, give us a moment of almost like uh, releasing that tension around the heart. That can happen in a, in, a, in a moment, in an experience, where something can light up, maybe more in our subtle energy system. The heart center is very, very powerful center. And, you know, um, someone's teaching, or again, reading a poem, being with a tree, can open up that, uh, what we sometimes call the heart energy, and it can do so at a distance. So it could be one or both of those phenomena, either kind of helping us to release some of that tension or just opening up the the heart energy uh, at the subtle body uh, level. Do you want to add to that, Love?
3: Yeah, when it works works with animals, obviously there's no cognitive content being exchanged. Um, And my experience on this Zoom call has been that it's some type of direct um, linkage through some hidden... Hidden circuitry that I don't have access to very well. Yeah,
0: yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe again, the, the subtle body um, circuitry is pretty intricate. <laughs> you know, and uh, so I don't know. I, I wouldn't try to figure it out just to try to have that experience more and more.
3: <laughs> Apologies for an intellectual kind of question. That was
0: great. Though. Thank you. Good night. Yeah, thank you, Keith. Uh, you want to add love? Anything? No, I thought that was a wonderful answer. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah. Um, You want to bring us to to the closure?
1: Would you like to do it? You you go ahead.
0: I rang a bell already. Oh, either way. I've been talking a little bit more lately than you. Okay, we'll do it. Otherwise, we can just go back
1: and forth for a while. Okay. Um, Yeah, thanks, everybody, for being here. Thank you, Donald, for... Your teachings. I really appreciated hearing what you shared and your responses. Thank you, Rebecca and Carmella, for holding the space for us. So we'll uh just get quiet for a moment and consider that everything that you need will stay with you. Everything really was perfect. And offering first to yourself any merit from this practice that can support you in your practice of self-love, self-compassion, or self-forgiveness. And then offering out to all beings everywhere, may they be safe and protected from inner and outer harm. May they know love, accept love, love. Choose to be love. May all beings be peace and live with ease. Yeah. Thank you, everyone.
0: Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Wish you
1: rest and ease. Yeah.
0: Yeah, may. May, uh, may there be beautiful intentions coming from our evening to help uh, open the heart and see more clearly what is in the way and keep that going. Yeah. Hmm. Feel free to turn on your mics if you want to say goodbye. Yeah, if you want to say goodbye.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Leif. Thank you. Thank you, Thank Rebecca. You. Donald, Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca.
1: Thank, thanks for staying awake, Linda. You're <laughs> well, Thank you, David night. and Connie, Sheree and Bowman.